Welcome to the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. Illinois Starnet envisions a future where early childhood professionals and families have the supports needed to provide all children with a high-quality, equitable education in inclusive environments. Starnet's mission is to promote evidence-based inclusive practices for young children with disabilities, professional development to support educators and families, meaningful child outcomes through innovative and engaging learning experiences. To find out more about Starnet Regions 1 and 3, please visit starnet.org home. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bridget Meese, and here with me is Cecilia Mintz. We are early childhood special education professional development specialists with Starnet Regions 1 and 3. We are here today with Kirsten Munson and Joanna Pushluck-Shimmick to discuss a few of the lesser-known senses that can impact children's development or behavior in a three-part podcast series. We will discuss interoception, the vestibular system, and the proprioceptive system. The sense we are going to discuss in the first podcast of the series is interoception. We will talk about what it is, what to look for in children, and what strategies can be used to support the development of this sense. Joanna, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background working with children, professionals, and families. My name is Joanna Pashluk-Shimmick. I am an occupational therapist at Chicago Pediatric Therapy and Wellness Center, um, where I've been working there for about six years. Um, I went to school in Chicago at the University of Illinois at Chicago, um, and I have been working in pediatrics since I graduated. Um, I've worked with children in early intervention, so birth to three, I um, currently work at an outpatient pediatric clinic, um, seeing kids basically from babies through teenagers um, with a wide variety of challenges and diagnoses, um, and then have also um, collaborated with some teachers in schools, and I've gone into some school settings as well, and I've also run some groups Um, And most of the children I see are kind of that preschool, early elementary age, but I have seen babies all the way up through adult or through teenagers. Um, And um, a lot of my population are kiddos that have sensory processing needs. Um, And I've also taken some more courses in sensory processing. Okay, I will introduce myself. My name is Kirsten Amundsen. I am an occupational therapist at Chicago Pediatric Therapy and Wellness Center. I have been at this position for about two and a half years, um, but prior to this position, um, I was at another outpatient clinic, and I have also worked in a therapeutic day school and early intervention. Um, Similar to Joanna, I also have run some groups. Um, I've been doing pediatrics since I graduated as well. I went to the University of St. Louis um, in Missouri, where I got my bachelor's and my master's in occupational therapy. Um, I primarily work with kids about two to seven, I would say, are my primary age groups right now. Um, Although I do work with children birth through, um, I would say, 18 Um, Very similar to Joanna, I have a lot of kiddos with sensory processing differences, um, different diagnoses like autism, ADHD, and more. Um, And that is my primary population I've been working with right now. 
Before we begin, we want to remind everyone about the importance of consulting with an occupational therapist when implementing some of these strategies. Can you explain the importance of this? Yeah, I think we want to recruit an OT or consult with an OT to make sure that we're um, you know, they have the specialized training to monitor for those desired effects that we're looking for. And we want to make sure that we're not going in the opposite direction, that we're really getting the desired outcomes that we're looking for. Um, and just ensuring that everything is put into place with safety in mind, um, especially if a child has certain conditions or diagnoses, and just ensuring that we are being safe with all of our practices we're putting into place for our children. Let's start out by talking about what is interoception? Yeah, um, I'll jump in um, to kind of interoception is um, a lot of different things, um, but to kind of give it more of a concise definition. So interoception is our internal body cues. So this really entails things like hunger, thirst, fullness, um, the need to use the bathroom, tiredness, um, our hearts, emotions and feelings. So it really encompasses a lot of different things um, and really focusing in on all those internal body cues. So that's really what interoception is. Can you explain to us what it looks like in like infants, toddlers, preschool, even that I know you said you work with uh, students up to seven. So what does it look like all the way through seven, if you could? Yeah. So um, we kind of, so it starts off an infant, um, like we were talking about, and it's things like crying for changes in hunger. Um, so when a, you can see when a baby is becoming distressed, um, that they need to be changed or they may be hungry or tired. So starting to recognize those signals through that way. Um, so rather than those verbal communications, you're seeing it through crying um, and expressing those emotions. So and then eventually, as children develop, it changes into recognizing pain and hunger and thirst. Uh, eventually bowel movements and bladder and emotions and feelings. Um, and that's how it kind of develops through those nonverbal cues to eventually working through those verbal signals and being able to tell you what they're needing. Um, you know, this is too hot. This is cold. I'm hungry. I'm feeling tired. Um, and then again, tying in those emotions as well. You know, I'm feeling really happy right now. I'm feeling really sad. And that's how it really starts to develop from infanthood to then that early childhood development. That can explain why a lot of children might struggle some with explaining how they're feeling and what they're experiencing. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what signs a child might show when they're struggling with interoception? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of different things you might see with interoception because it is such a wide thing here, um, but it might look like struggling with really big upset reactions. Um, and you might have a kid that goes from like zero to a hundred really fast because they're missing their body cues. Um, and all of a sudden they realize that they're really hungry and they haven't eaten all day or they haven't gone to the bathroom or they haven't drank enough water. Um, so it might go from a child that seems really happy to all of a sudden like really upset. Um, it might look like confusion of signals. Um, we had a child we worked with that, um, would say that he felt like he needed to vomit when it really was that he was super hungry or that he needed to have a bowel movement. So there might be some of that confusion of signals too. Um, 
Or some of those kids that are in that early childhood stage, they might have some potty training difficulties. Um, a lot of the time, that's how parents start noticing it, is they're having difficulty with toilet training. And there's a lot of requirements in schools now to be toilet trained going into school. And some of our kids are really struggling there. And that's typically where I'll get a referral for. And then I recognize that there's a lot of interoception difficulties that this child is experiencing. What can teachers do for children when they are either hyper or hypersensitive um, that's related to their interception? I think a big thing to keep in mind is kids at this age are still developing all of these skills a lot of the time. Um, so I think like seeing if you have somebody that's maybe struggling in the classroom, kind of slowing them down and having them stop and just like think about their internal cues. A lot of times we'll rep uh, recommend like a visual or something like that to do kind of like a body check-in. Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Do I need to use the bathroom? Like, have I moved my body recently? Just kind of like stopping and doing all of those things and doing like a check-in out loud even um, and modeling it on yourself is always a good way to kind of introduce this concept. Um, you can also start by kind of starting simple, maybe if you have multiple kids in a classroom that are struggling um, by playing around with like different temperature, right? Oh, this is hot. This feels cold, right? So learning how to label kind of what you feel in the environment before kind of looking into in inside and figuring out your internal body cues. Um, that would just be kind of one thing I would recommend. Um, it's also kind of, I think, a bit restrictive in the classroom setting um, because, you know, it really requires a lot of that, like individualized kind of support and attention to be able to develop those, those skills. So I do think at times it could be helpful to just kind of refer outside of the classroom, you know, to that, you know, to the outside providers, like OT, physical therapists sometimes also work on this. Um, but yeah, I think just being mindful that kids are going to develop at lots of different ages, um, and that they're still learning these skills, but do, using a lot of modeling and language and labeling things on yourself, kids will start to kind of pick up on those cues. Um, Kirsten, you probably, do you have other things yeah. you want to add to that? Yeah, I, um, very much agree with like modeling, um, descriptive language of like Joanna was saying, this is hot, this is cold. Um, you know, I'm starting to feel hungry. My stomach feels empty. It's starting to grumble. Um, or sometimes even asking a kid of, um, you know, I'm feeling really thirsty. How did you know? Does your mouth feel dry? You know, did you feel, does your body feel empty? Like, what do you, what are you needing right now? Um, and just starting to put those pieces together so they can really start noticing. Um, and then another really important thing Joanna mentioned is kind of slowing the kids down and stopping them. So another really important piece here and something that we talk about all the time is occupational therapists is being regulated. Um, you know, we have a lot of kids that miss these signals because their bodies are moving so fast or just not not in the right um, level of arousal. And so being regulated is really important in order to listen to those body cues and what we're needing. So I think those are really important things to keep in mind. Um, and then as Joanna said also is starting that really external before you move internal, because internal is a lot more obscure and harder to understand, whereas those external things are a little bit more concrete and a little bit easier to understand for our children. So starting there before we really move internal. And you mentioned regulation. Can you talk about some strategies that could be used to help a child um, be regulated? Because I know um, 
it looks different in early childhood than it does in, in older children. So what are some things they could do to be regulated to help identify um, when their body's hungry, thirsty, et cetera? Yeah, I think that is a little bit of a loaded question just because it looks a little bit different for each person and what regulates me might not regulate Joanna or you or um, whatever child it is. But as like a group wide thing, I typically always recommend that, you know, if you're doing something fast paced, like you've just come from recess or a movement break or something where it's a really high alerting activity, you know, doing something to really refocus and really organize that group again of like, maybe we do some yoga or we practice some deep breaths or we do something that's really organizing together, um, to bring us down. I really think tapping into some of that proprioceptions, maybe they do some self hugs or they're giving each other, they're giving squeezes in their hands or playing with Play-Doh or putty or something like that can really be helpful to kind of re-regulate, um, the group. We always I think we always go to proprioception too, because it's a really regulating body system um, that can be really powerful for many different people. I'm really interested in your whole thoughts on regulation because that's, yeah, like I said, that is with my son, the regulation piece is the hardest and it's like, okay, I get he has to be regulated, but how do I get him there? (laughs) Yeah. It's challenging. It is very challenging. And like I said, it's very different. And that's why it's really hard to give a concrete answer because it is so different for each individual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what regulates me is completely different than what regulates somebody else. And that's the hardest part is just figuring out what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's hard as the educator. It's hard as the parent. It, that is mm-hmm. a hard part. It is really mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah. yeah. And, and what in the, ch- another challenging thing is it's very different across environments too, right? Like it's yeah. very different between what works at school, what works at home, what works out in, you know, the different environment in public. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all those things can change too. It's different between caregivers sometimes, you know, like mom does this thing I really like, but you know, dad doesn't, or this, the teacher does something that works really great. But when mom tries it at home, it's not the same effect. You know, there's just, it's very different because environments are so different. And so that's another challenging piece too, is, um, you know, what might work in one place doesn't work in another. And that's really frustrating sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes the the relationship between the person who's trying to implement it can also impact. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Cause we have parents that will come to us and say like, I tried what you what you tried and it didn't work at home. Um, so then we kind of go back to, okay, like how can we, what can we do at home to make this successful or transfer the skill we've learned and how can we generalize this? Um, and that's definitely a, a challenging part is you're exactly what you said. The relationship piece is a huge component of it too. And there's a huge emotional piece when it's your own child, right? You know, as an outside person, um, you know, I have a little bit more, um, I don't want to say patience is the right word, but, um, you know, it's a little bit different. There's an emotional piece when it's your own child and trying to understand them and understand what's going on and wanting to help them so badly. Right. Um, so there's definitely another layer there that's different from an outside um, perspective too. You hit the nail on the head is that that outside perspective makes the biggest difference because a, the parent lives with it 24 seven. So there's mm-hmm. the patience of, I've, you know, we've been dealing with this now for 12 hours. I just, you know, and you come in one hour out and they're wonderful. They do what they need to do. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is, that is so true. I feel that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, parents get the best and the worst of their child at the same absolutely. time, right? Because you're yep. the safest space. Oh, yeah. Yep. So you get the, I've been holding it together all day and now I need to melt down because mm-hmm. you're my safe space and yep. I can do it here and I know it's okay. So yep. it's, 
challenging and beautiful all at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Joanna, I want to go back real quick. You mentioned that it's a good idea um, to refer the students out because it does take so much one-on-one. Are there some strategies that families can do at home that can help to support the development of this sense um, if OT or PT is not an option for them? Kelly Maher has some really great free resources on her website um, talking about some different body experiments. She does have some for purchase as well, um, but she is a really great resource. She has classes. She has different coloring pages, um, different body experiments you can follow. So she is a really excellent resource for at home. And then similar to what we talked about earlier, doing those different body experiments, you can easily do those at home. You don't really need any equipment. So it might be as easy of, you know, let's rub our hands together for 15 seconds, super fast. Now, how do they feel? And then modeling that my hands feel super hot or tingly, or, you know, maybe yours feel different. Um, And I think another important thing here to note is just accepting all of those answers. So even if a kid says, oh, my hands feel really cold. Hmm, Okay. That's really interesting. You know, mine are feeling really hot, but yours might feel cold and that's okay. And just kind of accepting those answers and then just modeling what you might be feeling. Um, So I think that's a really important thing to note there as well. Um, So there's definitely some different resources to start working on those systems at home. Wonderful. That'll be great for families. And I know even though it takes some one-on-one, some of those strategies will help teachers in the classroom as well. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you think educators or families should know about interoception uh, before we wrap this podcast up today? Um, I think that something we mentioned earlier that I think is really important is this system develops differently in everybody. Um, Some kids develop this super fast and some are a little bit slower and that's okay. Um, You know, with this system, they really do talk about how there's a really wide range of development here and it's appropriate to be in that wide range of development. Um, You know, some of our two and three-year-olds are potty training and they got it and they pick it up so fast. And then we have our our fours and fives that are still not quite there yet. And that's okay too. Um, So just kind of recognizing that it's going to look a little bit different for everybody and just understanding that and being, um, being aware of it, I think is really important. Um, and then as we mentioned, just really keeping in mind that regulation piece. Um, again, as OTs, we talk about this all the time as being regulated is one of the most important things, because if you're not regulated, you can't do most anything if you don't have that underlying regulation piece. So um, I think those are my two big takeaways um, that I would want people to get from this. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, I think that there's a lot of cultural and like society pressure to, especially with potty training by a certain age. Um, But that pushing it on kids doesn't necessarily allow them to like kind of go internally to figure those senses out on their own to figure out, oh, my bladder is full and it needs to be emptied. Um, So I think exactly what Kirsten said is everybody's develops at a different age. Um, and that's okay. And just being open and willing for families and in the classroom that it's not a one size fits all for everybody. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenging one. Um, because when you think about it, um, it's like, how do you describe some of these internal body feelings? Like you really have to sit and think about your own body and like, how does that feel for me? And we don't often do that as adults, right? It's just something that comes natural to most of us. So when, 
you know, when a child struggles with it, you have to really sit and think and, you know, figure out the best way to help them learn that. And it's not easy. Um, it's definitely a, a really challenging thing to do. So when it doesn't come natural, um, to, you know, to some of our kiddos, it's, it's really challenging for us as adults to figure out the best way to teach this to them. Absolutely. It's easy to take it for granted that you just know what mm-hmm. hunger feels like, what cold feels like, you know, it's like, right. Oh, no, <laughs> right. Exactly. Like you um, develop this sense early on of like, I know when I'm hungry, I know when I need to use the bathroom, you know, I know what this all feels like. And um, when that just doesn't happen for some people, it's really confusing and hard. And I think, I guess that's another tidbit is that this is a really challenging system and um, just letting parents and caregivers and teachers know that, it's okay. And it's going to be tricky, but you know, it's, um, just something we all have to learn more about. And it's something that's still being studied and just give yourself a lot of grace when teaching this and give your kiddo grace if they're having difficulty with it. Cause it is really challenging. Joanna and Kirsten, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expert advice on interoception. We look forward to talking to you again next time when we discuss the vestibular system. Thank you for listening to this episode of the StarNet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out by emailing starnet at wiu.edu or submit a request by clicking on the Request Services tab on our homepage.